Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of the podcast. With me today, uh, having a chat, is Caleb Tusat. Caleb and I kind of started our comics journey back at the same time, around 2015 or so, and it's really been awesome watching him kind of grow in his comic career with titles such as Alter Life and Nook and the children's book Super Cats, um, which I own and I highly recommend for anyone with a, with a kid. Um, and he also has a title right now on Kickstarter called Fly Trap, so once you're done listening, to the podcast, please go over to Kickstarter and support Caleb. Um, it was just really awesome kind of sitting back and talking with Caleb. I uh, haven't seen him in a while since we went to a convention, uh, actually Comic-Con Revolution uh, in 2019, so it was great to kind of catch up uh, with Caleb and chat all things comic. He's an amazing creator with great insights, and I really hope everyone enjoys our conversation. Um, if you're looking for a free comic book delivered right to your uh, email, you could go to aguildy.com forward slash free comic and you could sign up for our exclusive fan list and you could get a free comic of issue one of man of sin that's my indie horror comic series delivered right to your email for free so head on over to aguildy.com forward slash free comic for your free comic book without further ado enjoy our conversation computer um so yeah we, we've got my daughter down to um she she's down to one nap a day and she naps for about an hour and a half average sometimes less sometimes more so about an hour and a half once a day so that's that's our, our break period but like uh she she goes to bed usually anywhere between like six fifteen and seven ish give or take ish depending on those naps yeah. so it's like a, it's a wide uh, not very wide but we kind of know where she's going but she sleeps really well but she very rarely sleeps past like five forty five. Like I don't, oh, I don't remember the last time I've slept past six fifteen in the morning. Oh, dude, I, I, I hate to break it to you, but <laughs> it doesn't my, get better. My son's three and a half, and I pray for the day where I get to sleep till seven o'clock in the morning. Like, it's oh man, happen, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he goes to bed like I don't know normally eight about eight o'clock at night but he's always uh, it doesn't matter if we kept him up till midnight he'd still wake up at six o'clock in the morning like it's i don't know That's he's got some is. internal thing but all i can say is enjoy the naps while they're not <laughs> a fight to get the nap because with the three and a half year old boy man he's he's every day he's like oh did i sleep long enough that i don't need a nap today i'm like you need you need a nap because I need an hour in my day for something other than this. It's hard, yeah. man. Especially with all the stuff going on and there's like not things to do with the kid. And it's like hard to keep hard to keep them distracted, you know, for that long in a day. So especially with me being home, like this is what I do all the time right so yeah yeah it's uh it's rough yeah kids are <laughs> kids are uh are just it's a whole new new world like it's it's funny i i teach i teach high school uh i'm a high school english teacher and uh i uh i i talk to my my students all the time they're like yeah i think i'm gonna sleep till like i don't know one two i'm gonna be up till five and i'm like how dare you how dare all of you <laughs> I, I, I've already I joke with them all the time. I go, I've I've already put like a 
a mental note in my mind that like when my daughter's like 15 and 16, their age where she wants to sleep all the time, I'm just going to like vacuum like outside of her room <laughs> <or> like <laughs> at like six in the morning. Like, yeah, you like that? Huh? <laughs> Paying her back. Yeah. <laughs> remember, uh, remember this at yeah. five forty-five in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this morning. Uh, so every morning, you know, um, my wife always hears her before I do, and so my wife goes and gets her, and then gives her to me in, in, in bed, and while she gets ready for work, and uh, we're, he, he, we just hang out, and she drinks her milk, and we like put on, you know some sort of songs or something on the TV for her to kind of wake up to. And it allows me to like, kind of like half be awake, half be asleep. <laughs> but this morning she thought it was hilarious to just start just jumping on me. So like, like she's just like jumping on me as she's drinking her milk. Apparently I became oh, a, yeah. uh, a trampoline. So that's how I woke up today at five forty-five oh, yeah. in the morning. I'm yeah. sure it's very similar to you oh. or in, in your yeah. experiences. I just have the cringe moment every morning where I'm like, yeah, I know it's not past six o'clock in the morning or, and I, I try to get, I've kind of given up on the getting him to go back to sleep thing because it's just easier to get up and then have him actually take a nap in the middle of the day. But you just get, I mean, everything's, this is why it's, I I was told to me and I, I try to tell people that have new kids and stuff too. It's like, everything's just phases, man. It's like, you got to try to remember that whatever you're going through is probably going to be for like three months at the most. And then it's going to be a completely different thing that you're <laughs> worried about. <laughs> so it's just what, what it is, yeah, but it's, everything you... is temporary. So like take the good things that are temporary yeah. while you can. So yeah, for sure. As soon as you got it figured out, which, you know, uh, I, I love that you brought that up. Like kind of, uh, we got, we got kids. And one, one of the big reasons why I wanted to talk to you is, you know, you, you have a three-year-old, but you're, you're constantly putting out material, man. Like how do you find time in your day to, to get creative and put out such great great books man because like from from super cats which you know we have and i read to my daughter to now fly trap and nook and all this stuff like where do you find the time like how do you how do you structure your day because that's something as a father and as a creative like i'm still figuring out it's been difficult and uh i will admit that going into having a kid i kind of anticipated a good year year and a half of just not being able to do much writing so i wrote like a crap load of stuff before the big moment where i was not going to have that time so i had some material to kind of work off of and i had these ideas and i had outlines and stuff so it wasn't all there but i knew at least i had the bones of some things to go to and not have to like start from scratch i mean you know that's like the key is to get started really and have somewhere to go with it. So I kind of was like, Oh, I'll build the bones of a couple things and then I'll get to them when I can get to them. But yeah, man, the trick to me is like really my only fruit time to write is like after my kids in bed, because it's just no other time to do it. So, uh, just, I try to find a, a day or two during the week where I can really like sit down and, put my nose to the grindstone but it's like even now i it's hard for me to do that so 
was a little easier when I could like escape and go sit in a coffee shop and write and be away from the house. But I, you know, you can't really do that. Like it's just doesn't make sense to do that. So I try to separate myself or, you know, just make a deal where it's like, Hey, I got three hours in the morning on this Saturday. Let me just like write some stuff or, you know, you just, sometimes you just have the moments of inspiration where you just sit down with an idea and stuff flows out, but it's like, it's a trick. It's a, it's a balancing act. And I can't really say that it's any particular way is going to work for anybody that's the same way that works for me. But uh, I don't know. I mean, just try at the end of the day to have the motivation to do something else rather than just watching TV because uh, it's, I know it's hard with kids, but like, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Terry Brooks, the author, fantasy author does like, he did like this sort of Shannara series back in the eighties and it's it went on forever. Uh, one of the biggest fantasy like novel series that's ever been written. I went to see him, uh, talk one time and he was like you know the key to creating is just being able to like turn the tv off at the end of the day because that's he's like that's where he started writing his books was like replace that time at least even if, even if it's just part of it for like if you can put an hour into sitting down at the computer you're gonna be able to write stuff it might take a little longer but you can still write stuff so i try to think of it like that um I try to scale things back. Uh, Super Cats was a lot easier because it's like 20 page books and they're like really simplistic. One of the reasons I dove into the kid stuff, not only because of having a kid was simplify and uh, make something a little easier on myself to make. I mean, I kind of had to rebuild an audience. So there was another <laughs> workload that I gave myself, but uh, you know, you just, you find different ways of doing things, adapting to the world that you're in. So Flytrap was actually based on the one that I just wrote and is on Kickstarter. That one's uh, actually based off of a competition thing I wrote a couple of years ago. I actually rewrote it for myself because it didn't win anything. So I was like, oh, I'm still going to use this because there's a good idea in there. So it's like kind of sifting through old material and reuse repurposing it that helps too because then if you already have stuff there it's like again the bones are there so you have something to you don't have to sit down and find the inspiration at the end of the day if there's something there waiting for you so just like get something started and then start whittling away at it man because you know it's it takes time to write something big but you can always scale back to do do a do a couple issue ones and build off of that, or do something small, do some shorts. I did I did a few shorts for anthologies in the mix. It's just so much easier to put together so if you ha you can find the time to do that stuff. A lot easier than a sixty page issue of something <laughs> oh man if, if i could go back and and talk to my myself five years ago i would tell myself to just do shorts for a while like i said i like seriously it's, it's like uh you know i'm like oh i'm gonna do this like five page mini series it's not that long and like five yeah. years late it, it it took me literally five years to make the five issues 
of that because yeah. when you're doing it independent and there's time and it's just also one thing like I don't know if, if you went through this learning curve, but for me, like I didn't realize how many different hats you have to wear as a, as a, you know, an independent yeah. creator. Like you, you're the, you're basically the project manager, the publisher, the sales team, <laughs> the marketer, the like pr- basically everything other than the artist himself. And it was, it was yeah. like, I didn't realize. And it's, it's, I don't shy away from that and and I've I've learned to embrace it but it wasn't something that I was initially understood that undertaking was that something did you have a similar experience or how was your experience kind of starting out cuz we kind I, of started out around I, I want to say kind of the same time maybe yeah, ultra life and, and I think I think life and medicine one I had yeah. a slightly quicker pace because I was pushing like I think I finished ultra life in about 3 years I have to say uh okay so it still took some time, but I was like mm-hmm. pushing them back to back. Like as soon as a Kickstarter would finish, I was literally launching the next Kickstarter. Like when people were getting the book for the last one. So it was like, I was giving myself whip- whiplash trying to do it that way. But uh, I, I, I feel you with going back and wanting to do the short things earlier, just to learn better. Uh, and, you know, to be able to kind of, if you had started with the shorts with the anthologies, you wouldn't have had to worry about all of the odds and ends of the publishing and marketing and all that stuff, because you would be submitting for anthologies and stuff. So it's really in hindsight, that w- that's the best place to really start is you f- hone your skills with the, like one to five page stories and, you know, go from there. But yeah, man, like it's, <laughs> it's it's a it's a difficult thing um to kind of wear all the hats but i came from doing independent film production in chicago for like i did that stuff for like what seven or eight years before i thought what the heck am i doing with myself it's that you think there's a lot of hats in doing comics independently the a producer for film is not uh, independent producer is not uh, just being a producer. You have to basically do anything and everything on set and behind the scenes. And I just, I didn't have the heart or ambition or just the time to really devote that. I didn't, I did personally didn't want to devote that much time to that art. So, and with all the egos and stuff, I just decided, you know, I'm going to, I I know there's still going to be hats to wear with this created own creator own content, but like I knew that I would only have to deal with like one or two people in the creative process. So like I can write a story and I can deal with like an artist or two versus having to deal with a director and an assistant director and a cinematographer, you know, this like, a film set it's like everybody wants to put their own spin on the story and have their own angle and you know it's like i love to give my artist uh the chance to put their own uh flavor into the story and kind of let them do their own thing with pages and stuff and if you have 20 people you have to do that with it's a lot more painful so it's like comics just made a lot more sense to me it's like these big ideas i can work with one artist and 
kind of move forward from there. So I knew I would have to figure out a way to fund things. And I, I, the, what I didn't anticipate was how much you'd have to learn as far as printing and shipping and all the distribution ends, ends of things, because, you know, going in independently, you think, well, I'm going to make something, it's going to cost me money to make something, and then I'm going to pitch it to some company and they're just going to pick it up and distribute it. Well, it's just like you know, it's like yeah like, like it's like it's like that's like, the dream right <laughs> yeah like my my stuff's awesome like who's not gonna pick it up exactly but it's like then you come to the harsh realization that you know i'm running a kickstarter i have to distribute all this stuff and then like most of these companies don't care about mm-hmm. your stuff and um especially having only done like one or two issues you have to make you have to really play the long game and have treat this as a marathon in order to get anyone to pay attention to what you're doing because anybody can make a, a single issue like really anybody that wants to write something can go out there and scrape the money together to make a single issue and put it out there but to come back and do five issues to come back and do three three whole graphic novels to you know that that shows that you're in it for the long haul and that you have more than just this one idea in your wheelhouse so i think it's important to just keep going and to keep trying to wear those hats as long as you can because eventually you know if you keep doing this you prove your worth and you prove that you can do all this stuff maybe you can get to that point where you can say hey I have this idea and you know, once you get signed for something, that's where it it snowballs, right? Because people start saying, Oh, look, this guy's got a book here. Maybe we should take a look at his other stuff. So it's just a big long game. And I just, it's taken me five years to get to the point now that I actually just got that deal for super cats with scout comics doing their scoot line uh congratulations man yeah thanks man uh that we we signed that deal like a few weeks ago and i kind of came out of the blue because i submitted for it like probably in the october in the fall sometime this past year and i was like oh well they're not getting back to me it's taken this long I just assumed move on and start submitting stuff again at some point but and i was even like what am I going to do with super cats? Maybe I'll just wait. I have a gap year because I wanted to get some other stuff done. But and then this is another big thing with wearing all the hats. You have to go to conventions, which we can't do really right now. Uh, but that's a big promotional thing. And it's about meeting the right people. So like you're wearing that hat too, because you got to get out and you got to market your stuff there. So it's, when when you can do those things that's not even part of the creative process it's like that's another expense it's another thing that you might not even have <laughs> anticipated that you're going to have to go out there and do but in all honesty like it kills me that we can't do that stuff right now because that to me is the most important thing as an independent creator because you can get out there and you can talk to the people that have done all this stuff and you can get out there and you know get input and get your books in front of people. And that's the first convention that I did 
was in Chicago was a wizard world, like four and a half years ago now. And I met the guy who is now helping as an assistant editor for the scoot comics stuff. And he (laughs) bought alter life then and loved it and has been following me since then. So it's like that relationship really paid off in the long run. And it's something that happened four and a half years ago, but it's like, yeah, you have to wear all these hats, but it's like, you gotta, you gotta pay your dues. And I think people don't realize that it's not, it's not, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. As much as I sat down there the first time I wrote comics and I was like, I'm going to write three issue ones. These are going to be awesome. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to like quit my job and I'm going to be a comic writer. This is what's going to happen. Like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like that, the idea that that's going to happen, it's such a slim chance that you have the, that one book that's going to like explode and, get everyone's attention so you just have to remember that take a breath and like take your time make a key just keep making stuff man because i that's all i could think of when i whenever i was like oh this is not happening i wanted like this is what i want my day job to be in the long run i don't want to be i want to be stay at home dad becoming comic book writer like that was the goal but you know it's you gotta <laughs> we're all wearing the different hats now too right doing the being a father and being a comic writer and you're doing you're being a teacher too but it's like you figure it out and that, that's the key you figure it all out and just keep creating and the, the nice thing to me about the indie scene versus and comics versus uh film is that we're all we all seem to be a lot more willing to help each other along the way. You do podcasts and you share tips on how to get printing jobs done and run Kickstarters and stuff. Like if in the film world, man, it's like they, you will step on each other to get where you're going as what any way that you can. So it's like, it's dog eat dog. And that was one of the things I just couldn't, I, I couldn't, deal with that's that that is man there that's that's so interesting you say that like i have a a couple just uh, i have a bunch of thoughts but like just just that notion i i was talking to um a prose writer who transitioned from comics actually into prose and he was saying it's completely different and it's more dog eat dog in the in the prose world and very similar to the the film world that i've heard not just from you but uh, from other people in my own kind of experiences as well i i dabbled in that world a little bit uh mm-hmm. um as a screenwriter and what's what i love about the comics industry is that like literally everyone i've met so far has just been really just awesome and it's all you know the t- all you know the tides raise all ships and everyone wants everyone mm-hmm. to succeed and everyone has just been just really really awesome and i, I find that's that's something I think as, as like a comic book industry as a whole, we might not appreciate. Like there's a lot of yeah. like, I, I don't think like, I, I just think we just assume like, this is just like everyone's cool in it. But like, I don't think people <laughs> really realize how rare that is. Right. Like that's like yeah, a rare I, thing. It's, it's interesting to me after seeing the dynamic with the 
film world because it's just you don't realize it but all, most of the people in comics especially now have the same story you're not you're not just going to go get signed by Marvel or DC like you have to pay your dues you have to build from the ground up and most of these people I went and I've talked to people that are well established writers and uh, artists in the industry just at conventions and stuff and you, you ask them for their advice and it's like keep making books keep going to conventions keep selling them and letting people see your stuff like eventually you're gonna if you keep doing it you'll get somewhere so like those people have the same story as we do really it, it, it's very rare that one person is just going to suddenly be called up to be writing batman or something i mean you you have to <laughs> right. you have to do all of this other stuff before you get there and like i don't know what it is about i mean i i honestly think that film is kind of the same way i mean there's flash in the pan movies that get huge notoriety but there's also a lot of indie people that just remain indie forever and it's like I don't know what it is about that industry that makes it so much more vicious, but uh, I, it's probably just honestly the number of egos that you have to deal with constantly. But I feel like everyone's just a little more humble in the comic book industry because they realize that like, it's kind of a privilege to be able to do this stuff and actually make money doing it. And uh, you know, we all are living the same dream to get to that point where we're making this stuff and making money doing it so it's like we've all been there and you know everyone goes through the different stages and i think i I don't know if the empathy is just higher in the comic book world but i definitely see a a huge difference and it's kind of cool like i i sometimes just have to stop and step back and realize that because even the big names that I've talked to before, they're, they're excited for you that you like funded a Kickstarter. It's like, yeah, Oh, that's cool. It's like your first book. I think I, I funded my first book and I went and saw Jay Lee art, the artist. He's done a bunch of stuff for DC and stuff. Uh, he does lots of cover art. And I went and saw him at C2E2. And I was like, man, I just, I just funded a Kickstarter. It's my first book. I hope you can check it out. And he's like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, you're, this is like your first thing for comics. And he was like super excited. And he like gave me some free stuff and just an excitement. I'm like, this is. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Like you go, like you wouldn't get that. You have these egos that are get so big with the film industry. I just don't, I I feel like if I'd have gone to some guy at a film festival, like <laughs> you're not going to go up to Quentin Tarantino and be like, dude, I just made this indie movie and it like funded on Kickstarter. And you're like, who are you? <laughs> what? Like, I just, who let him in? Happening. Like, yeah. <laughs> Who's this guy? He's trying yeah, to sell me something. Get him out of here. Yeah. Like, I there's, it's just like a different world. And I step back sometimes. And I'm like, it's really cool to be, part of the community that actually helps each other and it's like everywhere that you see it it's very cool yeah yeah it's definitely something that i i really really appreciate being being able to be a part of and it's it's uh it's really really cool um 
kind of talking about film a little bit, um, how much of, of your kind of your film background did you did you take with you when you started making books? Like, what do you use? Like, how much um, uh, how much how much did you lean on? What did you have to learn and adapt to? Because I came from, you know, I have a, a screenwriting background. That's what I got my undergrad in. And so uh, what's interesting is that I got my undergrad grad in screenwriting with the intention of never writing a screenplay because I couldn't major <laughs> in comic books. So that was like the closest thing I could get to. So I always <laughs> wanted to make comic books. So I, I just, I always, whenever I talk to someone who kind of has their foot in that realm that I, I learned so much about for a long period of my life, how much did you take with you when you started yeah, writing man. comics and how much did you have to abandon and learn new? Yeah. So I, I went to school mainly for film production, uh, kind of focusing on the producer end of things uh a lot of writing was involved too uh so there was a sense of you know i had the mindset of writing for screen not for page which is a little different you know you have to write uh single image versus action so you have to kind of read reteach yourself to not write like too much action at once essentially which it's not overly difficult, I don't think, personally, because you kind of just think of it in storyboard in your head, uh, which I, that's, I kind of bring that over, I would say. But uh, the biggest thing is the doing the production end of things, having come into doing this independently and creator-owned. Like I knew kind of how to handle too much of the other garbage at once so like if i had to deal with an ego on set it was kind of dealing with like an artist on doing your comic book or hiring people and dealing with all the ins and outs of production versus production of a comic which is honestly just so much easier with a comic book that coming from just so many so many ins and outs and so many different things that you have to deal with on a set versus dealing with sitting in your house and dealing with a, an artist virtually, basically it's just, it's a whole different world. You don't have to worry about catering and any of those other insane things that you're like, why am I doing this at four o'clock in the morning? But uh, <laughs> one of the reasons I could, I could, I I could only imagine it was yeah. just like, 14 hour days on set uh for two weeks to make an independent movie and you're just like this is not what i want to be doing like i want to be writing i want to create stuff so i took like the core essentials from that and i was like i will apply this to making comic books like i can produce i can great i had run help run a kickstarter for a zombie film before I did all the comic book stuff. So I kind of knew like the bare bones of how to do a Kickstarter and like how to get people at least somewhat interested in it. At least the people I know, the trick for me was like learning how to do a social media and everything. Cause I had like zero presence at that point, but uh, that was like a whole different world. And so I just kind of brought the things that I thought I needed the most was you know, the big thing is you got to raise the money. You got to know how to kind of maintain a schedule of some sort and 
put the pieces together. It's it's similar in a way of putting pieces together for a movie. It's just a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> it's like it's like one to two people opposed to like thirty. Yeah. It's like yeah, so sure. I can keep people on these timelines by you know calling or emailing and stuff. You don't have to worry about having uh, assistant directors dealing with people and you know you having to call uh set dressers and it's so i was kind of fortunate that way because i had gone from this super complex production to like oh i have to just like get an artist to make sure that they like drawing stuff and then maybe coloring stuff and then like i have to have the money to put it together so it was like the, the really trickiest part for me was like figuring out how to pay for it because you know it's like I was working like a really crappy nine to five and I'm like, I can't afford to be throwing thousands of dollars at artwork for a comic book. So you just, you know, you figure that out uh, any way you can. I was fortunate that I actually had royalties from the movie that I had done. <laughs> done. The first that comic helps. book I did. <laughs> yeah. The first, first comic book I did, Alter Life One, the, all the artwork for the Kickstarter, like the, all the preview art, that I did and put on the page was paid for by royalties from the movie that I did that, that taught me I didn't want to make movies. <laughs> that helps, kind of you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, Oh, I never want to do this, but thanks for yeah. helping me make this thing I, mean, I want to do. That's so that's pretty awesome. Actually. It was just kind of, it, it worked, it worked out that way. But yeah, I got, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have, uh, you know, one thing that, you know, I've always really admired, about you um is that you've always had like really really great artists on your um on your work specifically for the project itself like you have a really good eye of like nailing nailing an artist that could bring your vision to life and so like uh you know Thanks. whether it's you know uh angela on super cats or um is it uh, it starts with a k i know who does alter life uh what's her katrina Katrina, Katrina, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, she does like Warheads or something like that, right? Am I? Yeah, Katrina Kunstman, she does Warhead, which is like her own personal creator own series, and then she did some. She did Zed for me too, which was a little bit different style, but she did that for me too. Yeah, and you, you've always had a really a really great eye, and I, I know like one thing I, I, I talk I've, I've talked about a lot is like whenever you're you're starting out don't just find an artist that will the first artist that will like work with you or that you could afford, make sure that you have the right artist for your story. And I think, you know, you've always found that like perfect artist, I think for your story to bring your story out. You're nicer to me than I am. I (laughs) to yourself. (laughs) I was just wondering like, how do you kind of go about my biggest, my biggest complaint with my books is the first issue alter life because I think Katrina was like, she wanted to do the book because she liked the story and everything. But like, I don't think she was a hundred percent into it because she thought, well, maybe it's just like this one time thing. It's this dude that just wants me to do a comic book. And she was, she's out in California and you know, I'm just, she, I found her on like guru.com. So it was like a artist bulletin board, but I don't know. Like I, when I did that bulletin board post, I had my whole intention doing the first book was like, I, I, I had a style in my head that I wanted. So I was like, I'm only going to ask people to give me 
character concepts that like kind of match that style and i wanted it to be kind of watercolor feel so like i had i think i had maybe two or three like really solid watercolor style people like send me stuff and i so i had them do like you know basic character mock-ups and i was like "Eh." katrina ended up being the right one just because i saw her warhead stuff and it was lots lots of like abstract craziness and i was like that's that feels like the right thing but i don't know i think that's part of the film maybe the film stuff too uh just trying to have the right to grasp the right feel for the story like i always i always go into writing with like a certain style in my head when i'm writing it like even when i did super cats it's like i knew i wanted it to be like this whimsical adventure timey kind of cartoony feel to it and then once i saw angela's work i was like and i actually met her at new york comic-con i was just like yeah this you need to work on this kid's book because this this is the right style and angela's awesome as a person too yeah she's awesome uh, i did a a podcast with her um we were both we were guests at the same time and she's just an awesome human being yeah, she's fun, and she's really excited to get to, to kind of go crazy with Super Cats now because Scout Comics with the Scoot stuff, man. We're our plan is I think we're we're gonna at least release like two Super Cats books this year, maybe maybe even three through Scout. So it's like it's gonna be nuts, but it's cool because she loves making those things, and she she liked the idea of kind of making comic books for kids. So, you know, it, I think it's also important not to just look at art style and to find somebody that you kind of get can get along with, too, because it's that ego. I try to avoid the egos that I had on movie sets by finding people that I kind of relate to or, you know, and I, like you can tell in a conversation if you're going to click with somebody or not. Or, you know, if you send somebody directions to work on character sketches or any conceptual stuff and they give you blowback for no good reason it's like don't just because they're a good artist don't put yourself in that position because it's a long haul to work on these books and if you put yourself in the position of working with somebody that's going to give you a hard time it's not going to be so i've been real i feel like i've been super fortunate to find so far all the artists that i've worked with have been awesome and they've like always taken my vision one step further than I could even do it. I always, Katrina was like always right in my head. She'd give me pages and I was just like, this is exactly how I envisioned it. Like, I don't, that was just dumb luck, honestly, that she was that dead on every time. Uh, And Marcelo, (laughs) I lived in Chicago for nine years. I met Marcelo online after I left Chicago uh <laughs> and he isn't he from chicago he is he lives in chicago <laughs> so like, dude, we could have we could have done this a long time ago <laughs> I, I know but he i honestly he he's kind of he's an interesting story to tell because he does a lot more like superhero type stuff and like power rangery feeling panels and stuff and um he has his own book that's called infra city and it's like totally power rangers feel to it and it so i 
ended up like I don't even exactly remember how I got a hold of him at one point. I think maybe I just put like a general thing out for doing something for like a short. And he was like, Hey, I'll do a short with you. And we ended up doing like this little sci-fi short for some competition or something. And it was like four or five pages and he like nailed this crazy cool art style. And it was totally different than what he had done before it was much more black and white deep saturation like exactly what he he, but he always does something that's like takes it somewhere i didn't want it necessarily want it to go so i i kind of saw that as something a relationship that would improve me because he would kind of take the book somewhere higher than I could even imagine it. So I was like, you know, I have this idea for this World War II ghost story. Maybe we should work on it together. And I showed him the script and he was like, oh, this is totally different for me. I'd love to try to do it. Cause he's actually has like an art degree. So he knows how to do a bunch of stuff. He just, the comic stuff he's done, it's all been very superhero-y. So it was a huge challenge to do something that was more like steeped in reality. And there's like the ghosts and stuff, but it's really about a girl during world war two. So I think it's a great relationship between me and Marcella because we're kind of always challenging each other. Like I'm giving him an idea that's not in his wheelhouse. And then he comes back with like taking my page that I wrote and like gelling all the panels into one crazy piece of artwork instead of it being like six panels. It's like one page. And I'm like, holy crap, like this, I would never have imagined that in my head when I was writing it. So it's once he did that with Nook, like the first issue of Nook, I was just like, this is going to be a ridiculous book. This is going to look amazing. So I, we've kind of come to a point where it's like, we're always going to be working on something together because we have that relationship where it's always challenging, always pushing ourselves to another level. And he's, we're doing that again with the flytrap book because we go a full color nook was all black and white. So I, he's getting to see his stuff, his stuff full color, even though he is colorblind, which is an interesting thing for an artist that uh, <laughs> I did, which I didn't know for a long time, but I don't have him color it. I have Robert Nugent who does a bunch of stuff for source source point press. Uh, it, he's a fantastic colorist and he's doing flytrap and, He's doing, Marcel is doing crazy stuff with that too. I, I asked him to do concepts for characters on that. And he ended up, you know, I was just going to write the same character as an alter life. Basically he's like a middle-aged white guy. That's like <laughs> going through some stuff. Right. But uh, he came back with like a black character. And I was like, I did not even think of that, but it works perfectly. I, like it worked great. And so it was like this other, he, he came back with this idea that I basically was like, oh, now I got to kind of, I can change the tone a little bit. I can play around. It gives me a new dimension to play with. But I, I don't know. I've been very fortunate finding these artists that kind of step up the game. And Marcelo does it more than pretty much anyone that I've worked with. But like Angela just, she is fantastic with super cats and, I haven't worked with Katrina in a while now, but she definitely did 
spectacular work with Ultra Life. And I wanted to do more with Zed, but it was just one of those books that just didn't find its audience well enough. So I kind of like put that in the back burner and started to focus on other things. But especially with the kid, I was like, I'm going to write something for a kid. So <laughs> it's, it's funny how the, the, those kids change your uh, change your priorities. I had no intention on writing kids books. But yeah, that was happened. Know, yeah, that was that was kind of one of the uh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, which I think is is really interesting, is that you, you know, for me, you know, I've done um you know, Man of Sin and then Forgotten Hymns. And uh, I was a part of the Nightmare Theater Anthology and they're all horror. So I'm kind of, and I don't know if it's not like a conscious thing. It's just kind of, it happened that way. Yeah. Like, I, I guess I'm a horror guy now. Like it's not, <laughs> it's like, I guess that's what I do. Um, one that's thing, like you, you're, you're, you're kind of hitting a bunch of different genres. Now, is that by design or is that kind of the opposite of what, it's the same thing that I'm doing. It just kind of happened that way. Oh man, I think that's just my personality. I can't stay in one place for too long. I can't. I think it all stems from writing that Ultra Life book was all about escaping the nine to five job, really. And you probably can see that reading that. It's like I felt trapped in that job for, I was in a data entry job for nine years. Oof. And, uh, I was trapped because I was like, I was making good money. I was had really good benefits. And I was like, I can't just leave this job because like I'm nothing else is going to treat me this good with the degree that I have. So I was completely trapped and I was writing that book. So it's like, I don't know the, the genres. It's like me not being able to sit still kind of, but it's also, just I love all the different genres so I kind of have I come up with these crazy ideas and they just come from wherever they come from usually it's from weird dreams or something which ends up being like nook or alter there's always some weird weirdness going on in my stories except for the super cats ones really so I it's I I love science fiction the most so coming back to flytrap that was my intention was to kind of go back to what I loved the most to write. So I, uh, I don't know. Um, genres. I just, I don't like to be, I guess I don't like to be pinned in one genre and I wanted to create stuff that was kind of for everybody. So, you know, I wrote some science fiction. I knew that was, it's, it's all kind of niche stuff, right? Like world war two horror ghost stories. Like, not necessarily going to be everybody's going to be reading that so it's i'm kind of spreading my my audience out a little bit and then i came to the kids books because not only because my son but then i kept doing conventions and i would have books on my table and i'd have half the people walk by my table and not stop because they have kids and they just are like i'm here for my kids so one of my goals was like, I'm going to create something that's going to get them people when I go to conventions to stop on my table, because then I can be like, look, I have super cats, but over here, I also have like this awesome stuff that you should read. So it was, it's like the, the it's learning from experience and doing so many shows over the years, which I really hope we can get back to doing sometime soon. Because like this, what you build this stuff for? <laughs> yeah, so it, would, it would be nice for sure. But yeah, it's like you kind of you kind of 
bob and weave in a way to figure out what's going to work and to me like i thought if i try to write in a couple different genres i can see what i'm the strongest at and i did really well with nook which was like slightly horror like historical fiction but i don't know like i never thought i'd be really good at writing kids books but apparently i am because that was the the one that somebody (laughs) wanted so it's like i I felt maybe i just should try some other things always always adapting to the situation but i think that's awesome man i think that's awesome yeah but so flytrap's kind of me saying you know, I don't care what you like. I want to go back and write science fiction. So hopefully everybody likes that too, because we did have a really good following by the end for Alter Life. And I fe- I already see tons of the people that backed Alter Life and didn't really back anything else have come back for this one because they've been waiting for that genre to come back from for me. So I don't know. There's something there. Apparently I still can write science fiction well and i have this weird spin on if i have a weird spin on something i'm gonna try to pursue it so i took a crazy time travel idea and went with it (laughs) yeah i'm glad we're kind of we're we're on that now that uh flytrap is definitely a uh the most unique way (laughs) of time travel usage ever can you talk a little bit about that without spoiling it i'm i always try to put some weird spin that you might not have seen before like zed was oh yeah i would like I a superhero never... zombie yeah. road trip buddy action comic it's just like one of those weird things so i always take things that i love so my favorite time my favorite use of time travel time travel has been used so many times now especially in movies and stuff it's like gotten to a point where you have to explain it to death and you have these intricate theories and split realities and all this stuff so i was like i'm gonna write it a way that it makes sense to have like the back to the future timeline where if you change something in the past it affects the future but i'm also gonna write it where it's like back to the future meets frankenstein or something because i want it to be a story where time travel is actually like the reason that time travel is used is because time travel was made so <laughs> instead of like having someone mess the timeline up in the past, so you have to use time or you, you have to use time travel to like fix some mistake in the past. Well, it's, this is like you made a mistake now and your future self comes back to basically stop you or to tell you to fix the mess up that you did in the past. Like, it's a, it's crazy. So how I kind of pitch it is like a guy creates a time travel device uh, because he's inspired by the movie The Fly, uh, the portal device in The Fly. And unknowingly in the future that turns into time travel because this time travel device is used to like pinpoint a point in time and space. So you can jump through the portal but you always have to come out another portal right so basically he he builds this thing for his own purposes and you kind of see him devolve by seeing his future self (laughs) come back to himself and it's like this huge conflict all the conflict in the story is really within himself so he's 
has a conflict from the future and he has to go back to the past to stop himself from seeing the movie the fly because that's what inspires him to create time travel so it's this really weird concept it's nuts it's people keep asking about the fly like it's the most important part which there is an importance to it but i just personally like think about jeff goldblum going through all the craziness and something about jeff goldblum just like stuck in my head and there's like some goofiness about the world being destroyed by jeff goldblum through the fly so (laughs) i wrote it that way it turned into the fly trap it's it's kind of funny it's super it's like serious and funny and uh i don't know it's hard to explain it like i took the best parts of back to the future and terminator and turn them into this comic book about 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 creating time travel and destroying it so the whole concept kind of came from this one idea i had where it was like if you created time travel and like you had the device in your hand and it just like suddenly exploded because somehow you had to destroy that and there was like this whole time loop that happened in between it right like because you really time travel shouldn't exist like whatever what time travel is going to be made and it's going to ruin everything somehow so somehow that thing is going to have to get destroyed like instantaneously it's just like the weird concept of you know if i created time travel i would just be come back and tell myself that i created time travel (laughs) you know so it's like (laughs) i it's really fun to play with it took me a long time to figure out how to make it make sense and without like making it stupid and i didn't want it to become over the top like zany bill and ted's excellent adventure i wanted it to still be have that feeling where it was like the nostalgic back to the future like oh this is fun but like there's some serious undertones to it and then i grew up watching the terminator movies so like there's an element of that because it's like the future Albert, who is the scientist, is like hell bent on stopping the fly no ma- movie from inspiring him. Like no matter what, like he's willing to destroy himself if it if that's what it takes. So you have this cool dynamic of like the younger Albert who hasn't seen all that crap yet, and he's like, "No, I'm not going to kill myself to like." stop time travel like we can figure out another way to do it and then you have the old albert that's like no like here you have to like go murder yourself or something and then you have the kid that's like completely unaware and he just watched the movie the fly and it's like going to inspire him to basically be a scientist so it's like where do you if you want to stay yourself how do you do that without killing yourself in the timeline so it's 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 gonna be really fun it's crazy yeah. it's insane Dude, it, it, <laughs> it sounds awesome and i, I love the kind of kind of the 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 themes and the that you're playing with like this this idea that the you know the the older version of yourself all you know hates the younger version the <laughs> like, like the yeah. ideal version just like you know it's, uh, pulling this whole thing full circles like when we first started talking about like where we are now to where we first started. It's like, oh, we first started, it's like, well, I'm just going to make this book and people are just going to pick it up and publish it. It's like, no, if I can yeah. go back in time, I'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? Exactly. So well, I tried I, to write it where he like is aware of like where he was 
mm-hmm. in the past. So like if he's the younger self dealing with the kid, like I know how smart I was then. Like if I can leave this breadcrumb trail, like I'm going to be able to follow it. And then the older guy's like, no, I'm like, I'm a jerk at that point. Like I'm going to go in there and just, I'm going to have to tell him what's what basically. So it's like, it's really fun dynamic to play with. Cause it's like, you're dealing with the same character in different points of their lives, but it's, it's crazy. It's this crazy fun idea I had. And then I tried to inject this like serious undertone of, you know, the, the idea that uh, something's the inspiration of the movie or the story is like the fly, right? The movie, the fly, or at least his inspiration for creating time travel, but like his his inspiration as a character, he watches that movie and he sees that something so small and it's insignificant can like destroy everything. So he basically uses that to as like the foundation of what he's doing as a scientist and as like this genius prodigy child that's like creating all these crazy inventions so it's it's kind of cool I, that's where that little weird frankenstein idea comes in because it's like he gets to a point where he's middle-aged and cynical and sick of what he's doing and he's like i'm just doing something for myself i'm gonna dig up this old flytrap idea and the moment he lets his guard down is when he ruins everything so it's <laughs> man so how much uh do you do you write each series the same way or do you attack series a little bit differently do you do a lot of character work first a lot of plotting and outlining do you just kind of start writing and see where the story goes kind of what's your kind of process like initially i like to write like a character and i think when i first wrote flytrap i kind of just wrote like what he went through from point a to point b to point c like through his timeline so i kind of like to i like to have like build the voices before i start writing and then i usually tend to write the bones of everything first so like this happens first this happens last this happens in the middle that's usually kind of where i end up or you know sometimes it's like i have a good ending and i I build it that way but i always start with like a very basic structure of like i need to go from this place to that place and end up here and then i kind of fill in with the action and usually dialogue comes in at the end like i'll do every i'll go bullet point sometimes i'll think of like cool dialogue and i'll type it in just to like be like oh that's a really cool line this guy could say right here i'll just i won't put that on but usually i don't that the dialogue doesn't really come in until after i have like all the action plotted out and then i'll go in further even before the dialogue usually i'll go in further and like start breaking down paneling and then i'll be like okay now we have place to put in the words because first that's going back to the filmmaking stuff i think that's my different way of making comics and people have pointed it out to me usually i have there's some pages where i just have don't have a lot of dialogue and it's because i try to tell this i like to tell the story without having to even read anything like if you you can usually probably go through my books 
and not even read the dialogue and be able to tell what happens in the book because I just try to tell it so visually that like the words are there to just fill in the the space and like to to kind of accentuate that art so maybe that's why artists like to work with me so much because I'm like just make it really good and then I don't have to write anything <laughs> no no I, I totally I totally I totally get that man like it's uh <clears throat> it's really interesting it's almost um an opposite version of myself that when I went from screenwriting to comics um a lot of it's very dialogue heavy right like how things work almost like because mm-hmm. I did a lot of like with screenwriting I did a lot of playwriting as well where it's all on stage and it's all kind of what's said mm-hmm. um and so like I had to almost do the reverse to where I had to like pare back my yeah. uh, how much the characters were saying and let the artist take control more. If that if yeah. that makes sense. So like when you were saying that, oh, like, I can I, see I, that. I, I get it, but from the other end, like I get the I, I, I get that. what you're saying. Like alter life, sometimes I feel like there's too much of the inner dial inner, inner monologue, but it also I think that's what makes that book so intriguing to me because I kind of went a weird route with it, and there's lots of like music references and just fun little Easter eggs of I had like high fidelity what's the guy's name the main character in that I forget his name but like I had that guy's voice in my head as the character where he's like obsessed with music because at the point that point in time I was obsessed with music it was like I'm always listening to stuff to like blur out the nine to five data entry job all day so I was like using that as his inner thought was always kind of musical in a way uh but I kind of paired back like when I did Nook and then when you do the kids books like you have to dial it back and just like make it really simplified there's a little more than norm honestly Flytrap probably has a little more uh writing in it than I normally do but that's also because it's freaking nuts so I kind of have to like <laughs> I kind of sure. have to hold your yeah. hand a little bit more and I have a little more explanation like it actually makes sense that the that the fly trap which is the device that takes you through time it actually makes sense that it works the way it does because I explain the way the device actually works to keep it in the singular timeline because I wanted it to be I wanted it to feel real and I, I I respect time travel things that just kind of brush over it and just do their own thing. Like I think Looper did that with the movie. It was, they were like, Oh, do you really want to get into all the time travel stuff? And then they just were like, okay, that's, they kept going after that. It's like, we're not going to get into the intricacies of all this. Just move forward. (laughs) It's like, I wanted it to feel like since we've had so much stuff in, pop culture now that's like with the alternate timelines and stuff i wanted it to feel like this could be real so it involved me kind of having a little heavier hand with the with the dialogue and stuff and him the science i felt it was okay to have the scientist explain what the heck was going on to the guy that he's working with so it still all makes sense in the grand scheme of things to have the dialogue where it is but it's like i usually kind of step back and let the art tell the story first and then i'm like you know let's fill it in where it needs to go and 
I don't know if that was me being afraid of my writing at first or if it's just to me I feel like a comic book should be that visual like I think I actually read that somewhere where they were like I I feel like you should be able to look in a comic book and read it with you shouldn't even have to read the text and know what's going on like that's I've something I heard that somewhere and I was like that's a really cool way of looking at a comic book like if I just flipped through I was like oh yeah I know how I know I have an idea of the storyline with that just by flipping through the pages it shouldn't take you like a whole 20 pages of solid text to explain I, I that that kills me when I see a comic book where it's like where's the face in that panel like it's like and that's like the whole book is like that I'm like Ugh, I that's not really why I pick. It's not really why most people pick up a comic book is to read. Like, if we want to read a book, we'll read a book. So, For if you sure. want to read yeah. a comic, you want to see the art. You want something. You want that experience, just like a film. It's like you have movies that are dialogue heavy, but you have to you have to do that dialogue in an intriguing way. You have to you do flashbacks or you have action going on while the dialogue is being said. Like you use the medium for a different purpose in that case but so it's it's a weird thing to have to deal with with i kind of did the film thing with flytrap too where it's like you know we have the stuff being talked about while stuff is going on and it's it all comes back to the film stuff i think you're right there's something there but (laughs) you know the the way the the way it was taught to me was uh it it was called the the pope in the pool whenever you had to get through that was a technique and basically it was whenever you have exposition where you have just two people talking have something else going on in the background and so like there is this famous scene i forget what movie it was um where it was just two guys talking and in the background there was a pope swimming in a pool and so like and so like it's visually interesting right because there's a there's literally the pope swimming in the pool and there's these two guys talking about whatever it is that they're talking about and basically the lesson is if you're ever going to have two people just talking there has to be something going on and you know um, you know i think it was david mamet who's a really famous playwright um talks about you know whenever two people are talking they have to be doing something so like he always had scenes where like people are like eating or like tarantino does that a lot right like you'll have just two people eating or two people doing some sort of action to make it visually interesting and then if you're able to you know to add the layer of thematic context to it where it's not just arbitrary where it makes sense either within the characters or this the theme of things that's when it starts elevating your 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 writing um so that was something that i've always i've always taken with me and i've always tried to be conscious of when i'm writing and creating yeah i think people will see the i you'll probably see the film side of things a lot more in this newest book for me the more i think about it because there's sequences where i'm like you have the old albert explaining some of the stuff that he's gone through and but while he's explaining it it's happening so it's like you're not just that was my way of kind of giving you explanation but all like you say exposition but with something exciting still happening it's not just 
you know, yeah. an old guy talking to a young guy on a panel. It would be the most boring comic book ever. So yeah, I remember. Uh, <laughs> have you ever read Grant Morrison's uh, run on Animal Man? Mm-mm. So uh, basically, what it is, the whole book is like three. I don't know how many issues, but it's like three uh, trade paperbacks. So it's like I don't know however many fifty issues or whatever it turns out to be. Um, but basically, it's Animal Man at the end meeting Grant Morrison like the person like this character this comic book character meeting grant morrison right and so at the end the whole issue is animal man is having a conversation with grant morrison the person and it's just like all white panels and it's really weird and there's literally a part where there's a velociraptor and he and grant morrison as the comic book character talking as grant morrison the writer turns to animal man and he goes and here's a velociraptor because my artist would probably hate me if i just had him draw me and you talking this whole time <laughs> <laughs> and he like he says it in the comic that's book. Awesome. like it's and it's like uh when i read that like it, it was one oh. of those things where like i was able to like put those pieces of my life nice. together like all right here's the that's funny yeah version here's grant morrison telling me that it's like all right now what i'm writing that I have to make sense. sure someone's drawing something so they don't want to just draw conversate two dudes talking that for makes me feel so much better about this book right now because there was moments where i'm writing it i'm like god there's things i had to explain and it's probably going to take a few pages but i don't want it to just be like old albert talking to young albert like in a freaking lab somewhere like what do you so i was like no you do the film thing where it's like like the highest we like talking about the highest as the highest happens right like right Right. i did that in ultra life at one point too but uh yeah it's the beauty of coming from film you still have that visual in your head it's just slightly different you know you have to again you have to write it for a single panel you have to sing it a single page but there's there's a lot that you can bring from film. Uh, I'm just as I'm sure you can take from comics to film too. But uh, sure, that's why a lot of that's why a lot of movies are made from comics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get out of here, you wanna uh, can you just let everyone know where they could find you on social medias and all that stuff, and kind of uh, oh let yeah, for know sure. where they could find uh, Flight Trap. Yeah, if you just you can find my webpage is just villagecomicbooks.com uh, or you can just look up Village Comics on Facebook. If you just put facebook.com slash villagecomicbooks, you'll find it too. That's the best way to follow me. I usually post everything on there. And then uh, Flytrap right now, we have a forward link. You just go to flytrapcomic.com, take you right to the Kickstarter. Uh, we actually just passed the time of recording this past 75% funding. And I have like a really good tier. It's like 15 bucks and you get, it's a 60 page trade paperback print. Uh, we have like two different variant covers. One's by Joe St. Pierre, who's done tons of stuff for Marvel, mostly Spider-Man covers. And then uh, this fun, like parody back to the future, Rick and Morty cover that we did. Uh, but for 15 bucks, you can get the standard cover, which looks like a VHS tape. That's fun. Uh, and then we have a whole bundle of stuff that you get with it. There's like a bookmark, a magnet, and it's that shipping included. And a couple issues of Tap Dance Killer, which is by my 
buddy that lives in uh, Akron, right near me, uh, Ted Sakura. He has a Kickstarter too right now. So check all that stuff out. Just flytrapcomic.com. That's awesome, man. I, you know, I'm a backer and I can't wait to, uh, to dig I into can, it. Man. And, and, it's uh, going to be crazy. I yeah, can't man, wait to I'll, hear what you think. <laughs> yeah, man. I'll, I'll for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to you, man. But Caleb, thank you for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Anytime.